know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we wrestle with this text and our subject today, we pray as always for insight and understanding into the kind of relationship you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great to see everybody here today. Julie, nice to see you. We've got some old friends. We've got some new friends. Is that Michael? Good to have you all here. We've got our Zoomers with us. It's true. 49 today. 49. It's getting real, people, up in here. So thank you for that lovely birthday. I've always wanted Alex and Michelle to sing directly to me three inches away so that my dream has been filled today. Really glad that you're here, excited to celebrate birthday with you. We are starting a new teaching series today. We are looking at bad beliefs, bad beliefs that ruin our religious experience, and there are plenty of them. Last night we were talking about uh, this uh, series. Next four weeks we'll be looking at beliefs that are harmful to our religious experience, and uh, Nick, who is apparently on TikTok, I did not know, but he... Uh, sent me this, uh, this social media or specifically TikTok thing going around called Losing My Religion. Has anybody been following this? Yeah. And it's people who are talking about the, the belief or the, the teaching that uh, was introduced to them. Often it's Christian in the Christian context by their churches that just decided, made them decide that religion was not for them. Right? It's actually pretty profound. It's definitely worth checking out. So losing my religion is a thing going around on TikTok. Anyway, the reality is there are beliefs that we have that are bad beliefs, that aren't uh, Bible beliefs, that aren't are God's intent for us to believe, but that we have embraced as, as beliefs that are actually harming our spiritual life. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about those. So today, we are talking about a very specific belief, the belief that our performance determines a person's worth or value. Now, this is a belief that, that's gonna, is that blinking still? Are we blinking? Because if we, that's blinking, that might be a little bit distraction. Distract, I'm blinking enough on my own that we don't need any other uh, uh, blinking. My, uh, my daughter woke up last night with a the cold that's going around, it's not fun. So anyway, we're, we're, we're a little sleep deprived in the stout house. So I may do my own blinking, but we don't need the screen doing that. Anyway, anyway, performance. Uh, the belief that performance somehow contributes to our self-worth, our self-value. That is the bad belief that we're going to wrestle with today. And our text of emphasis that we just read confronts this belief straight on. Our text of emphasis says that a person is not justified. In other words, a person does not get their, uh, their value by their work, by their performance, uh, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So Galatians 2 is directly addressing this issue of performance-based value. Your performance does not come, or your, your value does not come from your performance. Your worth does not come from your, your performance. And, and yet, we are all steeped in this idea that our performance helps us to have value and worth in this world. 
I mean, at some level, it makes sense, especially for those here in, uh, in New York City. You know, New York City has always been uh, a, an environment where your performance matters. You know, uh, New York uh, City was, was rooted in capitalism, right? And capitalism tells you that your performance is what gives you value. How many, how many uh, boxes you can get off the ships and how quickly can, you can do it, that is what gives you value. If you go, you, Boston was, was a city that was, our sister city was uh, rooted in, in religion. Uh, the, the foundation of Boston was people were escaping uh, religious turmoil and they came and started Boston. New York City is a, is a place of commerce. It's a place where capitalism grew and was fostered. And so our city in particular, if you're in New York, you know that performance matters. And so we are steeped in this idea that our performance proves our value and our worth. And yet this is contradictory to the gospel. It's contradictory to our text of emphasis today that says, no, no, your performance is not what gives you value. In fact, you are inherently valuable. We know this because in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 twice, two stories telling the same event, we get the, the image of God creating our first human parents, right? And in one narrative, he actually gets down on his hands and knees in the clay of the ground, and he forms the body of the first human, and then he breathes life into the first human. Therefore, indicating that this is something inherently valuable. And we are the children of those first parents. And so if those first parents were inherently valuable, we too are inherently valuable. It's not our performance that gives us a value. Just like a, a child. If you have a, a loving parent, a child is inherently valuable to the parent. Right? They don't have to do anything. In fact, the, the first moment their heart starts beating, there is value in that child. That child doesn't have to do anything. In fact, the child... They might even do some things that are, are not great. But for a loving parent, that child is inherently valuable. And so this is what our text of emphasis is telling us in Galatians chapter 2. You are inherently valuable. Maybe the most famous passage in certainly all the New Testament, John chapter 3.16, affirms the inherent value of every human being when it says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever accepts his work on their behalf will not die forever, but will have life forever. Humans have inherent value. We are inherently valuable. It's not our performance that does it for us. And so according to Galatians 2, all that we have to do is to believe in Jesus, which basically is a belief that God cares for us enough that he would send his son to rescue us. And this belief signals that we are embracing our inherent worth and we want to be counted as one of God's children. That's it. It's, it's literally that simple. So we could wrap things up right here and say you are inherently valuable and you need to embrace that value. But the problem is that is easier said than done for most of us. Because, again, we've been steeped in a culture. And for many of us, we've been taught by our religious communities that this is not the case. That your performance somehow contributes to your values. So whether it's capitalist society or whatever other society, because the reality is most not, it's not just capitalism. Most, most systems, philosophical systems and religious systems promote this idea that it's your performance 
that makes the difference. It's the, your performance that gives you value. So you even talk to someone who is not a believer in God altogether, has given up on the whole idea of God, and they are going to come up with some system. If you ask them, you know, what, what gives you value at the end of the life, it's something that they've performed during their life. It's whether they've you know, been an advocate for the environment or they've helped certain people or whatever. It all comes back to their actions and their performance, right? And we all are steeped in this idea. Our performance proves our value and our worth. And so saying that we are inherently worthy and feeling that we are inherently worthy is easier said than done because that is not what the world has been telling us. No other philosophical systems says you are just inherently valuable and what you do does not contribute to your value or worth. It's a profound idea. So we live lives of constant insecurity, always feeling like we aren't good enough, that we're not living up to what we want to be. And insecurity is a hard thing to live with. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You've had your insecurities. And so uh, being insecure and having insecurities is a, a tough way to live. And so what is it that gives us this insecurity? What makes us insecurity despite this uh, idea, this gospel idea that we are inherently valuable? Well, I went to the internet. I mean, where else are you going to go when you have a question? So I went to the internet and I asked us what makes us insecure. And I found an article by Melania Greenberg, PhD. It's exciting. Her value rooted in that PhD. No, it's a joke. PhD. Melania Greenberg, PhD, she says in her article in, in Psychology Today that there are three big things that make us insecure about things. I think these relate to what we're talking about today. You tell me if this relates. All right, so what makes us insecure about our worth or value? Firstly, failure of, or rejection. Specifically, we've had a rejection recently, but for some of us, we had a rejection or failure a long time ago, and it's been hanging over us for a long time. I mean, who among us hasn't tried to accomplish something, fallen short, and then felt a little insecure about ourselves and our ability? Uh, rejection is the worst. If you've ever been rejected by someone or even worse, by a community, it is devastating. It's devastating. I mean, that's going to make you insecure. Some of you have faced a rejection by religious communities. It's devastating. How do you come back from that? So no wonder we're feeling insecure about ourselves. So rejection uh, or failure, this, is, this contributes to this in insecurity that we have, an inability for us to grasp our inherent worth. Uh, secondly, we have insecurity because we have social anxiety. Other people matter to us and what other people think. And so when we're, when we're in communities of, of other people and we feel like they're evaluating us, that's intimidating to us. And this is uh, exacerbated again by communities that seem to have it all together. You know, if you go to a community and everybody is dressed well and everybody is looking good, that can be intimidating. And so the assumption when someone who knows that they don't have it all together goes into that, uh, that, that community, it's intimidating. And it just makes those insecurities rise. Alex was right. I dressed as if I'm going to homecoming in 1987 today. <laughs> it was intentional. Because you remember high school. Does anyone remember high school? Yeah. Some of you, I'm sure, had it all together in high school, 
or you at least tried to act like you did, but all of us really had our insecurities back then. You remember that? You remember how challenging, some of you are in high school now, God bless you. That's a, it's, a, it's a challenging time. I mean, so many exciting things happening, but you're also trying to figure out who you, you are and what's going on with your life, and there is insecurity in that experience, right? So if you remember back to being a high school student and going to your, the first dance or homecoming or whatever is happening, the insecurities boil up. You feel like everybody else is a little hotter, a little cuter, has better grades, is smarter. Insecurities. It's difficult. I was inspired. By every, every year, you know, we have the Met Gala here. We've talked about this before, just a couple blocks away. Every year at the Met Gala, first of all, the hottest people on the planet get together. I'm still waiting for my invitation. It's never come. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, that's a joke. Met Gala happens over here, hottest people on the planet, they get together, but every year there are these, these testimonies behind the scenes of very hot people talking about how insecure they feel. It's a very, apparently it's very intimidating, as one could imagine, you're going in front of all these cameras with all of other people who are very successful and very smart and very cute and whatever, and even those very hot, successful, cute, smart people are insecure. So you read, you go Google Met Gala insecurity, you'll find all kinds of Kim Kardashian, all, they go, they, and it, it's, it's intimidating. So social anxiety, being around other people that we feel like have it all together, and we know deep down inside we don't have it all together. And even the hot, smart, cute people, nobody's got it all together. So we have this social anxiety because we believe that our performance contributes to our value or worth it makes us insecure. You guys know what I'm talking about? Finally, we have insecurity because we have a little perfectionism going on, most of us do, especially if you've been around religious communities, because religious communities like to promote the idea of uh, perfection, right? misinterpretation of perfection maybe, but still this idea that you have to, every, every performance has to be precise. It's not just a good performance, it has to be precise. And if you believe that if you're not precise in your performance, that God is not gonna accept you, I mean, talk about insecurities. That makes you insecure. And so when we believe that our, we have to have our best performance at all times, and if we don't have our best performance, we're always on the edge of falling off and not having value, it's devastating again. How are you going to live like that? I know a lot of people who have given up on religion altogether because of this. They've been either, firstly, they, 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 they strive for perfection in their own life, moral, ethical highest perfection and were ever, never able to achieve it and just gave up on the whole thing, or they were in communities that pushed that all the time and judged everything about the way that they were acting or interacting with each other, and that is an incredible burden. And so uh, perfectionism inhibits our ability to have peace and just exacerbates this idea of being insecure, that we are not enough. That our performance is never good enough. It's never good enough. By the way, side note, uh, perfection in the Bible context really has very little to do with, with uh, because the Bible does talk about being perfect, right? It has very little to do with perfect performance. 
uh, perfection in the context of the gospel is perfect love for others, right? That changes the whole concept of perfectionism, thinking of others, being considerate of others. It's not about perfect performance. It's not about perfect piety. That's a side note. That's a story for another day, but you can keep that in mind. When we have the burden of being perfect in our performances so that our value is earned, it's going to create insecurity. And so what do we do? Well, we might go to a religious community because we want to find peace and grace in the religious community, but as we've already said, oftentimes religious communities are not the place in which support this inherent value of the human experience. In fact, sometimes the religious communities, maybe even often, are promoting these ideas that exacerbate insecurity. I would imagine that you've been to a religious community where you went in hoping that you were gonna receive grace and joy and support, and what you got is uh, judgment. What you got was uh, uh, the promotion of perfectionism, and it just made you more insecure. This is why there is a TikTok uh, campaign going on. It's not a campaign. I've just realized that I'm 49 years old. I don't even know what to call it. Trend, thank God somebody is here. That's, there is a TikTok trend called losing my religion because people tried to go to religious communities so they, they wouldn't feel insecure and their insecurity was only exacerbated. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna leave. By the way, I get it. If you've left a religious community because you, it made you feel insecure, probably a good decision. Why be in a place, why be among a community that is only gonna make you feel worse about yourself? That's the reality. But the gospel gives us something different. The gospel is good news for those who are feeling insecure and burdened and like they aren't enough. The gospel says, you know what? You're not enough. You're not a lot enough. But Jesus is enough. And if you acknowledge the work of Jesus on your behalf, he covers that which you can't cover on your own and you are in because you are inherently valuable because God got down on his knees and he breathed in that first human and he had love for those first humans and we are descendants of them. And so we are inherently valuable even though we're messed up and screwed up, and even though we can never figure it out and get it together on our own, and so because we are inherently valuable, he is working on our behalf, and we have Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we don't have to worry about our performance validating our worth. We are inherently worth, worth, of worth. We are inherently valuable. As we confess faith in Jesus, we are acknowledging that value. And then, because you are a child. You are a child. Just like I have three children, I love all of them. We are just like, you're in the family. It doesn't matter. My kids, I love them. Sometimes they do crazy things. Help me, pray for me. I still love them, right? That's what a healthy parent does. God says, you're in. When you confess faith in Jesus and acknowledge that you want him to be a part of your experience, then you're in the family. And you, then you can come to the understanding that your performance does not relate to your value or worth. 
with that said, Jesus of himself, if he, of course, he experienced rejection. He was evaluated negatively by others, specifically others in religious circles, and he had to be perfect, but he did it. But Jesus also had faith in God and faith in himself because he himself was God. In Mark chapter 10, we read these words, and this is Jesus talking. He's talking to his disciples. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, Jesus referred to himself often in the third person. It's weird when you do it. When he does it, you get it. Okay, we are, do you refer to yourself in the third person at all? That's a story for another day. Anyway, uh, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. So Jesus is predicting the future, but then he asserts what God is going to do on his behalf. Three days later, the Son of Man will rise again. Jesus believed and had faith in God. And because Jesus has done for us what we find challenging to do, we have hope for transformation in our own experience so that we can come to the understanding that it is not by our performance that we gain value or worth but we are inherently valuable, and because Jesus has worked on our behalf, we have hope for the future. Um, I love the people that Jesus chose to be around him. You know, there were a lot of religious people who believed in this idea that performance is, is what gives you value and worth. There was a whole community of religious leaders. That was their whole thing. They were very into performance religion. They would stand on the street corners, we're told, and pray very loudly. So people, and they would dress very appropriately, and they would, and people would walk by, and they said, "But they are very spiritual people." But Jesus did not ask those people to follow him. I mean, he 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 may have tried, but they were not interested. The people who did follow Jesus. Jesus' 12 disciples, they were a ragtag group. I mean, you know the story. If you've read the story, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a ragtag group of people who, quite fr frankly, were not good at performance. If you know how things work in first century Jewish education, you know that these were the failures. They didn't make it up the, the line. You didn't become a fisherman. I mean, you, maybe your family or, or whatever were fishermen, but you had the opportunity if you were super smart and you could follow the rabbi to go up the line and work your way out of that system. This is not the people that Jesus had following him. They were not great at doing the performance the way the religious leaders were. And so they were in the menial jobs and they were doing what they, they, they could do, but they weren't great at performance. They didn't seem, quite frankly, the fishermen to be that great fishermen even. Performance, it wasn't that they weren't excelling in that. So if their value was rooted in their performance, they were in deep trouble and said, Jesus is like, you're going to be my core team. And he lived with them as a family for three and a half years. He, 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 he brought these, these guys who didn't have it all together, who weren't great at performance, and brought them in and made them part of his family. Lived with them, slept with them, walked with them, cried with them, laughed with them, talked with them. They were in. They were insiders. Because Jesus doesn't evaluate our value or worth by our performance. Maybe the best example of this is actually in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham. He, three of the world's great religions 
looked to Abraham as the original father of faith for them, right? Islam, Judaism, and Christianity looked back with esteem on, he, on, on, uh, on our man Abraham. But you know what? You read the story of Abraham, once again, not great at performance. I mean, the guy did some pretty terrible things. I mean, some things that if one of your friends did or anyone you knew did, you would disown them, right? The way he treated his wife multiple times. I mean, Uncle Arthur and our Bible studies often don't do justice to what happened there. It was bad. And yet God embraced Abraham. But he didn't embrace him because of his good performance. He wasn't great at performing. He didn't do great things. It, 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 I'm looking for, for Hebrews chapter 4. Let me see if I have it on my screen. Rome, how about Romans 4? Even better. Romans chapter 4 says this about Abraham. What then shall we say? This is the Apostle Paul now, and he's writing about Abraham. What then shall we say uh, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the, the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by his performance... So if, he, if he was proven valuable by his performance, he had something to boast about, if that was the case. But then Paul says, but not before God, because that's not how God works. In verse 3, this is Romans chapter 4, verse 3. You can read it later for yourself. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as right living. Paul is saying that Abraham was not proven to be valuable because of his performance. And in fact, if you go and read the story of Abraham, there's a lot of bad performance. He's not valuable because of his performance. He's valuable because he's inherently valuable, and he recognized that by professing faith in the work of God that was to come a thousand years later. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as right living. That's the gospel. Your performance is not what makes you valuable. You are inherently valuable. You acknowledge that value, and God starts working in your life by confessing faith in the work of God through the Lord Jesus. And once that happens, you can experience transformation. Titus says it like this. This is Titus chapter 3, verse 4. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, not because of our performance, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. For those of you today who are insecure, who are feeling uh, burdened, who are feeling like you have to prove yourself, to prove your value, to, to prove yourself to gain worth. There is good news in the gospel today that you are inherently worthy, and because of the work of Jesus, you have hope for a new future, and you don't have to be burdened by perfectionism or social anxiety, whatever else is making you insecure about who you are in Jesus. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And because of that, we can live with freedom and peace that we are valuable and we're part of God's family. It's the best news ever. You're not going to hear 
better news than this. And it's not offered anywhere else. Every other philosophical system in the world is rooted in the idea that performance is what does it for you. You do good things, you get good things. That's not the gospel. Jesus heals our insecurity. He gives us new life in him, and he gives us peace because it's his work. It's not our work. Two side notes. Uh, now we'll talk about our own community for just a minute. This is for those who are new here today. We have the, the tradition of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, church, and uh, for decades, maybe from the beginning, I haven't studied the whole history of Adventists would never answer a simple question directly. The question is, are you saved? If you were, if you were an Adventist from a certain time, and maybe many still today, if they were asked the question, are you saved, would get all weirded out by that question. So other, other Christians would say, oh, oh, are you saved? And Adventists would be like, eh. Because there was a fear of being presumptuous. <sighs> but I just want you to imagine that you see a spouse at dinner. You don't know that they're married. And you go up to ask them, hey, are you married? And they act the same way that Avenus asks when they're asked the question, are you saved or not? <laughs> what, do you, what is that, what's the other person going to think about the, the, the spouse? Something is wrong with you. You can't just ask if you're married or not. The answer, that's weird. Always worried. Are we in a relationship or not? Is Jesus able to save me? Uh oh, what did I do last night? It was Friday night. Things got a little crazy. And so you're in and out and in and out. Each weekend comes and you're out. And then you back Sabbath morning, you're like, I'm back in. I went to Sabbath school. It, it's unhealthy. No wonder people aren't sticking around their communities. No wonder there's a, 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 a losing my religion TikTok thing going on. I've forgotten what to call it. Again, now, thank God, Trent. Jenny Bill's here. All right, so that was, that was side note one. What else, what, what other side note do I have? That's it. Performance, oh. <laughs> That's not good, okay, hold on for a sec. <laughs> and, oh, and now kitchen flooding. Oh my. <laughs> Okay, we're wrapping up. Okay, we gotta wrap. We're gonna land the plane. Here, last thing I'm gonna say. Last thing was the kitchen is apparently flooding. The baptism has already happened, probably. Paul and Naya are downstairs in the kitchen getting baptized. This is bad. Okay, last thing I'm gonna say this about performance. Here's the good news about performance. Once you've been saved with grace, you're able to perform better because you are not burdened by the guilt of having to earn your worth. Right? You're actually able to perform better. Right, so once you are freed from the, the having to perform to gain your value, you're inherently valuable, then you can live in that freedom and peace and you can perform. 
without the burden of feeling like your whole life is rooted in your performance. The gospel is good news for us. I pray that you'll receive it today. Amen.